Amen. Amen. Wow. Amen. Come on, let's thank our worship team today. Please be seated. It's great to see you all this morning. Great to be in the house of God. Well, if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 26. We're going to continue from the offering. Just read the story. Um, and this is where we're going to continue our theme, Flourish. Genesis 26, reading from verse 1. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with dirt or earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerir, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same name his father had given them. Isaac's servant dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders, those of Isaac, who said of him, the water is ours. So he named the well Isaac because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sinta. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. So God has promised Isaac the blessing because of his father's obedience. And so God said, I'm going to bless you, stay in the land. And I'm going to, so Isaac begins to look to, to redig his father's wells. But what we can learn in this story which some of you will be glad to know. I'm not going to speak about money this morning, about how you get a hundredfold, because I don't know how that works. But I am going to teach you something this morning of how to navigate um, your blessing and so that whatever comes your way, because now in this story, it shows me that, that when God blesses you, the enemy will try and rob you of your blessing. So it tells that, that the enemy filled the wells with dirt. And um, no matter who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, that when, when blessing hits your life, there is a challenge to manage your blessing. Because not everybody will celebrate with you when God blesses your life. And so we can see in this story very quickly some of the things that will, will try and rob you that you have to navigate and move away from in order for God to continue to make room for you so you can actually manage the blessing that God will bring in your life. It says the servants began digging and found fresh water, fresh blessing in your life. But at the same time, the enemy begins to fill in the well. And one of those wells is called Esek. It means dispute and arguments. How many of you have been being blessed by God, but all of a sudden found yourself in an argument or a dispute 
So much so that unforgiveness hits your life and you don't move on and the blessing stops. You're no longer flourishing, but actually you're floundering because of what has come upon your life. And you have to be aware of the enemy's tactics. And it seems that God will always use people to try and rob you of your blessing. But it tells us that Isaac moved on from there. And next week, Pastor Lee will be helping us how to manage conflicts and dispute, how to move on from when people upset us and hurt us so we don't stay um, in a confined space and allow God to make room for us and to bless us. Isaac was a master at navigation and not allowing him to stay in a place to, to get caught up with the enemy. He moved on from there and then God began to make room for him. So I want to talk to you about something I've never preached about in over 30 years. This is the first time that I've ever preached on this subject today and it's been an interesting journey of study because of the emotion that this brings today. Some of you will not be aware that you may have experienced this emotion, but by the time I finish today, we'll realise, wow, I've experienced that in my own life. And that experience is enough to actually stop you from actually receiving all that God wants from your life. Because it tells us in the first well that the enemy, it says that when they saw how many flocks and herds that Isaac had, because it also says he becomes very wealthy, when they saw that, it says they became envious. They became jealous and so they begin to fill in the well. I want to say to you today, no matter who you are in person and online, no matter what your rank is in the church, you will have the opportunity to experience envy and jealousy, not only to you, but through you. It's really important that we manage this emotion because it is something that will come to our lives. If God's going to bless you, don't expect that everybody's going to cheer for you. And also, when other people get blessed around you, don't always expect that you'll be jumping, doing back somersaults because of their blessing. And some of you will know what I'm talking about straight away because you felt the emotion, you felt the response when other people get blessed when you thought you should have been blessed and how that feeling is in your life that you cannot rejoice with them at that moment because there's something going on in our hearts. And so the enemy couldn't rejoice with Isaac. And, and here's the worst thing about it. Isaac, when God promised him a blessing, the next few verses tells us that he lied about his wife. So he was a liar, but yet God still blessed his life. He sowed a seed and got a hundredfold, but before that, he was lying about his wife. And sometimes the blessing of God isn't fair, is it? Because we know that we are more spiritual than the person that got blessed. And I don't know why that God's withheld his blessing on me because I'm more spiritual. But you know, sometimes that happens to reveal what's in you. And your response to other people's blessing is really important. Because you have to do what Jesus says, you know, you want to do to others as you would have them do to you. And I just think this is a really important message today for our lives that if God wants to bless you individually, God wants to bless a church, then we need to know how to manage the blessing. 
We need to know how to manage the favour of God when it comes upon our life. And we also need to manage the response when people don't accept the blessing and begin to try and fill you in. See, when it comes to God, we know that the Bible tells us in Exodus 20 that you shall not bow down to worship any other gods because the Lord is a jealous God. Now, this word jealous is a totally different word in Galatians and, and what the word in the New Testament talks about, the jealousy which is actually ungodly. When God, when, when God says that he's jealous, he's not jealous because that, he, he, that somebody has something that he wants. But when we talk about this kind of jealousy, God is jealous when someone gives to another what rightly belongs to him. And what rightly belongs to God is our worship. So he said, you shall have no other on any idols but before me. And so when you give away or when you yield to something that belongs to God and give it to somebody else, God is jealous. Because he's passionate about you and me. He totally loves us unconditionally. And he knows that worship only belongs to him and we have to make him number one. Love the love of all of your heart. And so that's why when we begin to yield ourselves to other idols or other gods and we give to them and we give what it is to them, what belongs to God, God begin, is jealous over that because he's so actually madly in love with us and he can't cope with that. Let me help you with an illustration in practical. Let me just say about if you're married now, because um, this will help probably one or two in the room. If, if, if your wife sees another woman flirting with your husband, what, what do you do? Do you say, oh, so I, I can't respond to that because I'm jealous? No, no. Let me just say, your husband and your spouse rightly belong to you. And it's absolutely right to have that kind of jealousy that, nobody else is going to touch what belongs to me. Do you know, you know what is healthy in a marriage? Let me tell you something. If somebody, looks too, if, if somebody looks too long at your spouse, you have the right to say what you're looking at. Let me tell you, and if your spouse is looking too much at somebody else, you need to say what you're looking at. That's not, that's not wrong to say he belongs to me, she belongs to me and nobody's going to look too long at my amen. spouse. Come on, say amen. It's a godly jealousy. It's what rightly belongs to you. And so I want to encourage you to know there's two kinds of jealousy. But this kind of jealousy that we can see in the Bible is, is an ungodly jealousy which actually ruins lives actually ruins you in your walk with God. If you look to Joseph in Genesis 37, we can see it, it very clearly, it tells us in, the, in Acts as well, that, that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. When you look at the story, you know, Joseph didn't help himself with managing the favour of his father and also the favour of God. And so when God blesses your life, you need to know how to manage the blessing with others because not everybody can accept it. I know what it's like when we go to ministers' meetings and everybody tells you how great their church is doing and you're not doing really well. In those early days, 
when there was probably 15 people in our church and there was nothing going, no building, no finances, nothing happening. And you'd walk into an environment, everybody go, oh, we had 100 saved this week. And I'm thinking, how do I manage? Do I celebrate that? And because of some insecurity in me, I would smile, half smile. And thinking that if only that was my, that was my church. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting what other people has got, but there's a problem when it goes beyond that and it develops envy. So much so that you want what they have. And so, so the thing for me in Joseph's story is, is so clear to me that, that his dad gave him a coat that nobody, none of the other brothers got. So his father didn't help manage their brother's hearts. He was clearly the favourite. How many of you in the room has got siblings and, and you may not know that you know that you're not the favourite? You know what that's like? Sometimes it can cause havoc in our hearts that, that we know that that's your favourite and you know you've given them a coat that I have never received and something happened in their brother's hearts and they, it says that they hated him even more. And so the father needed wisdom how to manage the blessing and he actually should have got them all a coat. But he never, and also that, then Joseph has a dream, a big dream, but he's so immature, he doesn't know how to actually deliver the dream. So he gets all these brothers and he sort of articulates this dream that they're going to bow down to him and that he's so great. But not only now has he got his father's coat, now he has a dream from God that we're going to end up serving him. Who does he think he is? So jealousy was formed because he couldn't manage the blessing. He wasn't mature enough to actually help navigate the room. You know, when, you, when you've had been blessed in your life and you've shared it with somebody and you thought that person would rejoice with you, and they became silent and you thought, what, what, what's wrong? Have I done something wrong? And you quickly realise they can't celebrate with your blessing. You have to have wisdom and help them manage the process. But Joseph never had wisdom enough and when you get blessed by God, you have to have humility. Don't allow the blessing to go to your head that you're something super special. You have to have a humility with God's favour on your life. But Joseph didn't know how to do that. But here's what we have to give credit to Joseph for because they hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And that's what happens when jealousy and envy comes, it ends up in murder or death. And so they sold him to the Ishmaelites that were going to kill him, but one brother, I think it was Reuben, said, no, let's not kill him, let's just sell him on. And even then it says, and God was with him. But at the end of the story, Joseph still didn't allow that to affect his heart because somebody never embraced his dream, never embraced his blessing or his favour. He didn't hold it against them. And that's one of the navigations that you have to have when you get blessed by God and the people around you or close to you don't receive that blessing. Don't hold it against them. Don't allow that to contaminate your heart. Just be wisdom how you navigate that. Because all of us have the emotion of jealousy somewhere in our lives along the way of our journey. And we need to know how to navigate it. Joseph forgave his brothers and forgiveness is one of the things that Lee's probably going to talk about next week because forgiveness releases us from the pit 
of staying where we are when people hurt us or people argue with us and have disputes. The next story I want to talk about is Samuel in the book of Samuel 18, where David, we hear this young David, who is totally sold out to serve his king, Saul. And Saul was fearful in the battles. Even though he went to battles, he wasn't um, bold enough to confront Goliath. But before that, David was serving him and, and he was worship leader to him. He was watching the sheep one minute and then he went to battle for him. And when he went to battle for the king, the story tells us that when David returned from killing the Philistines, remember this now, he's killing the enemy on behalf of Saul. So he's for him. He's not trying to take his throne. He's not trying to stab him in the back. He's for his king. His heart's to serve. And this is the woman came out, all of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul. And you can imagine King Saul now is used to this adoration and praise and David has slain these Philistines. And so they begin to make a song and they begin to play the song and the woman begin to sing this. As they played and said this, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Watch what happens. Then Saul became very angry. How, how can that happen? This young man has laid his life down to fight to bring me victory as king. And I'm ready now for the songs and Saul is waiting for the adoration to praise that he's killed his thousand. But as soon as they mention that David's killed his 10,000, the emotion of anger hits him. And he says he's very angry. See, that's where it starts. When somebody gets blessed or somebody is praised more than you, how's your response to that? Is it that how come they're getting praised more than me? I deserve more praise. I am the king. And why is this little, this little man who has gone out and fought for me, why is he getting more praise than me? And then it says this. This saying did not please him. He said, they have given David honour for 10,000, but for me, only a 1,000. Now what more can he have but to be king? And Saul was jealous and did not trust David from that day on. Isn't that sad? That, David, that Saul was not secure enough to manage somebody else's blessing on his behalf. Saul wasn't secure enough to know that he was already king. Why was he feared that this young man was going to take his position? And that's what can happen in our lives as we're serving God and we get promotion and somebody comes around us who may be gifted or who may be getting praise from other people and instead of us rejoicing with that person, we go into anger mode and we begin to protect our position and begin to be against that person. David did nothing wrong against this king, but because he was praised for his victory, Saul took an instant dislike to him. And jealousy gripped his heart and it was a downward spiral from that moment. You see, what is so scary about jealousy and envy is that it can grip you so much that the enemy is a foothold in our lives. The next verse after it says that Saul 
kept a jealous eye on David. Oh, I pray that we don't have a jealous eye on people who have potential. I, I pray that we'll never have a jealous eye on a church that's doing great for the Lord. I pray that we'll not have a jealous eye on those people that have got a better car than us. I pray we haven't got a jealous eye on those who's got a better house than us. I pray we can begin to celebrate the blessing of others that which will give room to God to bless me in my life. He said, as soon as David, as soon as Saul said he has a jealous eye and he couldn't trust him from that moment, it says this, this is scary guys. It says the next day, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcibly on Saul he was prophesying in the house. This is even more scary. David was playing a liar, as he usually did in the words. Now David takes the position of a worship leader again, serving Saul. He just fought an army and now he's back picking up a, like a harp thing, serving Saul. And this is what it says. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled at him saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. My goodness, what is going on in Saul's heart? So much so that this young man only wanted to serve him and bless him, but he wanted to get rid of him. He wanted this threat to go out of his life because there's no way that he's going to take my position. We cannot live like that. You can't allow the blessing because the enemy filled Saul's heart in with dirt. How do I know? Because an evil spirit give room for the enemy to harass him. James 3 says, but if you harbour bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. See dirt, filled in with dirt, unspiritual and demonic. Wow. You see the power the enemy holds of us when we allow our hearts to be affected with, with jealousy and envy and anger, that we can't move into what the room that God has for us because we confine ourselves and give the enemy a foothold because we allow our hearts to be overruled by our needs and our wants. There was a book that I read some time ago and looked over it again by Andy Stanley. It's called Enemies of the Heart. If you haven't read it, buy it. Talks about four emotions, anger, greed, and jealousy. And I was reading the passage on jealousy and I thought, well, it's pointless to be trying to preach what he puts better on paper. And so to try and help you understand jealousy and envy, I want to read some stuff to you because it also helped me identify, oh my goodness, that was that emotion in that particular situation when I felt like that. When I hardly tried to, to sort of try and be pleased about what happened to that person. And it always happens because it's something that's in our hearts from the fall. Andy Stanley says in his book, Envy of the Hearts, when we think about jealousy or envy, we immediately think of the things others have that we lack. The looks, the skills, the opportunities, the health, the height, the inheritance. It's that person who got the promotion, the recognition, the praise, and we are continually reminded that they have something that we don't. And it's attached to this is the feeling of discomfort when we see somebody else gets blessed and this emotion is unhealthy. 
He said this, one thing that serves, a sl- serves as a slave to my jealousy is when a person I envy suffers a setback of some kind. The only thing that the haves can do to make us have-nots feel better is to lose what they have. Not, none of us is as like to admit this, but there's something satisfying about watching someone you envy lose something that you wish you had. You may hate whatever it is within you that secretly rejoices the loss of another, but it's there. But how do you justify those incriminating feelings of, of, of satisfaction when someone you know or even love suffers a setback or a loss of some kind? But before you know it, with no conscious effort on your part, there it is, that despicable feeling of satisfaction. And where did it come from? Straight from the heart. He said, there's always someone who will be richer, skinnier, more talented, better connected, or just plain luckier than you. And until you find a way to deal with a jealous heart, you're unable to follow the most basic of all Christian requirements, and that is to love one another. He says, as long as jealousy rages unchecked, no relationship you have is safe, not one. When I read that, I was thinking, wow, the power of this emotion, this old nature trait that is in our hearts. Maybe not all the time, but it somehow rears its head at times and we don't know how to manage it. So where does it come from? As I've already said, it comes from the heart. But Christ came to change our hearts and we're all on a journey being changed and transformed from one degree of glory to another. But we have to begin to walk in the Spirit, begin to identify some stuff that goes in us and then bring it to God. That He can help us develop Christ-like character. James 4 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So the foundation of our jealousy is that we do not get what we want. How many fights in our relationships can we trace back that I want my own way? Over the years, when we sat down with some people to talk about their lives and what the conflicts are, they will start off with a list of issues, what's wrong with the other person. They never start with a list of what's wrong with that, about them. Never once. In my own life, when we have our conflicts, there's never once I sit down and tell Linda about my faults. I'll always tell her about hers. And why my needs weren't met. See, there's the crux of the matter. It's that we don't get our own way and we don't get what we want and we see other people, what we should have and we never get it. And what develops in our heart is a wrong kind of attitude towards that. He continues to say that jealousy is dangerous. It's dangerous because it shapes our attitude towards other people. He says this, it's hard to actually love somebody you're jealous of. It's hard to serve or submit to someone 
it was a constant reminder of what you're not. Eventually, jealousy takes control of our attitude towards people who have done nothing more than pull ahead of us in a race they are not even aware of. They're excelled in an area where we've deemed important and we hate them for it. Okay, we may not hate them, we just don't want to enjoy their company a lot. There is a fable of an eagle which could outfly another and the other didn't like it. And so this eagle saw a sportsman one day and said to him, I wish you would bring down that eagle. The sportsman replied, he said, he would if he only had the feathers to put in his arrows. So the eagle pulled one out of his wing. The arrow was shot but didn't quite reach the eagle. It was flying too high. The envious eagle pulled out more feathers and kept pulling them out until he lost so many that eventually he couldn't fly. And then the sportsman turned round and killed him. And the moral of the story is this, my friend, is if you are jealous, the only person you can hurt is yourself. So how do we confront the issue? How do we confront that emotion when it comes to us in our lives? Because it will do. As I said before, when we are blessed, how do we manage those who don't receive our blessing? We offer in forgiveness and we are, have humility. But what about when it rears up in our lives? When it comes to us that we can't celebrate and we are threatened by somebody else of fear of what will happen if they take our spot? What happens when that comes to you, when you feel that, why have I not got what they've got? What happens to us? How do we confront the issue? Well, understand this, that your desires you'll always have and you'll never meet all of them. Someone says it's like a bottomless pit that will never be fulfilled in our lives with our desires. The money, the possessions, the prestige, the position. Someone will always have what you want. So we've got to go a bit deeper to deal with a heart of jealousy. And let me just say this, that only can be found in God. Your greatest need, the things that you want that somebody else has got, only deeply can be found, your fulfilment in God. James gives the answer in the first verse, says, you have not because you've not asked God. So the first thing that we need to do is that we have to understand that God loves us individually. And just because somebody else is blessed more than you doesn't mean they say that he, he loves you any less. You see, we have to know that God loves us unconditionally. And his blessing on others doesn't define my, his love for me. Understanding that God loves me as I am, that he's blessed me already. And that in him, that all things, all my desires will be fulfilled in him. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, he will never give you anything that will hurt you or what you can't manage. His gifts are good and perfect and they will bless you. He will make room for you. I know that he's made room for others. I know they're probably getting further ahead than you might be. I know they may be threatening where you are, but let me tell you something. God will always make room for you. No matter if somebody unrighteously moves you out of the way, 
somebody kicks you out, no matter what happens, I want to tell you whether it's righteous or unrighteous, because you're secure in Him, God will always make room for you. And if you know that, then nothing can contaminate this heart of who does better than you, or matter what they do to you, you'll know that if you just keep moving on and you don't allow to get bogged down in that activity, that you move away and you allow God to make room just for you. He will do it. He is no respecter of person. You see, he's blessed you already in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. It says that he's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. He's seated you in heavenly realms. He has put a seal upon you, not only for your internal inheritance, but also as ownership over your life. And not only that, he's created good works for you, prepared in advance so you can walk in them. And that's every one of his children. And when you know more about that, you won't be intimidated by anybody else's gift or position or blessing because you'll be able to celebrate with his kids because you know that your blessing is on its way. Your room is going to be made for you. And I tell you, God will put into your life what will give your heart its true fulfilment in Him. And if you can begin to manage that, you begin to be walking freedom in your life. So the first thing is, you have to be rooted in who you are in Jesus. That He is your final fulfilment of your desires. And your lack doesn't mean that he loves you less. That always happens, doesn't it? You know, if you're in a family and you know that you're not the favourite, you automatically think that you are loved less. And it may not be true. It may not be true. And in the kingdom of God, when other people are getting further than you, and they seem to be getting blessed and you're not, we have a tendency to think that God doesn't love me like he loves them. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. That is the foundation of his love and his extent of love for your life. And then secondly and finally, how do we manage this emotion First of all, we have to be rooted in God that he loves me. And I tell you what, my room is coming. My blessing is coming. I'm already blessed. And whatever's coming in my life, I know God's going to make fit for me. And secondly, this is a little bit more harder. You have to learn to celebrate the blessing of others. You have to learn it. If I, if I get into an environment and I feel a bit intimidated because I know it's going to be my turn to tell me how well I'm doing. And many of us are defined by what we do to give us clarification and security. And those times in them ministers' meetings when they would come and ask my, how am I doing in my church? And I, I didn't really have anything good to say. I felt I wanted to run and hide and die in the room. I felt insecure. I had a choice be miserable or to celebrate in somebody else's breath, blessing and growth. And even though I never felt it, I made sure everybody in the room know I was so happy for that church that had so many baptised that week. And on the inside of me, I had 10 people leave. It's something you have to manage and be determined to do. Then when somebody comes and tells you what God has done for them, 
Even though I've not got it, I've got to learn to celebrate with those that God has blessed because I know my turn's coming and I want the same to happen to me. You see, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It does not, is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, we want to be, we don't want to be insincere. You know, we don't have to praise everything that we really honestly don't like just to pretend. You know, if you don't like somebody's dress, then you don't have to tell them. But don't tell them how awesome they look when you don't really mean it. Just smile. But we do want to be honest and truthful. Let me help us as I come to a close. If someone looks good in something that you can't fit into and you would love to fit into it and look as good as them, but you struggle to compliment them, compliment them. If one of your friends or relatives have just bought a brand new car that you wish you were driving, tell them how nice it is and that you would love to have them have one of those one day. Rejoice in a way as if they came to your door and give you the keys of that car. If someone got the permission or promotion that you applied for and dreamed about and you don't want to face them or see them, you need to find them and congratulate them that they got the job. It's the only way to kill jealousy. It's the only way to kill what is killing you. If someone has done a good job in something and they get praise and recognition and you were wishing that it was you, go encourage them, go and applaud them of how well they've done. No matter how much inside of you is churning over, then go one step further and tell those around you of how well they have done, just as if it was your children or somebody that you love dearly that accomplished something great. In his book, Andy Stanley says that when he goes to the sports days with his children in the early days and his children come second or third, instead of getting all upset, he would say to his son or daughter, you did an amazing job, but he would make sure he'd go to the parents of the winner and congratulate them and also the winner and tell them how great they did. If there's people who have potential and you hear others talking about how good they are, don't try to protect your position or keep them at a distance, but embrace them and encourage them, just like Elizabeth in Luke 1, as I come to a close. Listen, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled what was she filled with? Jealousy? Envy? No, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And in a loud voice, she made sure everybody could hear about this young lady's blessing. Blessed are you, woman among women, and blessed is the child that you bear. When somebody comes with a dream and a vision and see you see God's hand upon them, we've got to celebrate. We've got to make sure that we encourage them and embrace them and declare the favour of God over their lives. She said, I'm blessed the child that you will bear. And this is what Mary responded. But who am I? Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb wept and leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promise to her. That's the Christ kind of reaction that will move us into the favour of God. Finally, one more illustration. For many years, Sir Walter Scott was a leading literary figure in the British Empire. No one could write as well as he then, he worked, then the works of the Lord, of Lord Byron, began to appear. And their greatness was immediately evident. And soon, an anonymous critic praised his poet in a London newspaper. He declared that in the presence of these brilliant works of poetic genius, Scott could no longer be considered the leading poet of England. It was later discovered that the unnamed reviewer and critic had been no other than Sir Walter Scott himself. And so Andy Stanley finishes by saying this, let's stand together. Expressing the truth helps to free you from the emotional bondage that's such an integral part of jealousy when you walk up to the person who got your promotion or praise or reward and say congratulations, you're refusing to allow dangerous emotions to control your behaviour. And this slide to finish is so important. That you are protecting your heart. You're saying no to jealousy. He says this, it's much easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of behaving. Don't wait until you feel like celebrating. Celebrate until you feel like it. Heavenly Father, I'm sure, Lord, there's not one person in this room or online that's never felt the emotion of jealousy. Maybe for some of you, it's like the, the, the revelation has come thinking, my goodness, I've been managing that for so many years. But now God has given me tools and wisdom to manage it. I'm not going to allow myself to be filled in by the enemy. But I'm going to learn how to move away and allow for God to make room for me. So Father, I ask you, God, that 
you will continue to bless your children. Let them know how much you love them individually. Let them know that you're no respecter of persons and that you are a blessing for each one of them. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to celebrate the success and the victories of others. And Father God, we will rejoice with those who rejoice. I pray you will help us as a church that Father will never allow, Lord, other success, Lord, to be a hindrance to us. But Lord, would always celebrate the blessing of other churches and ministries because they're honouring you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.